Focus Church. Welcome. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read Luke 6, first through the 11th verses. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come stand here. And he rose and stood there and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm or to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And the man did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to our Lord Jesus. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. And Father God, Lord, I, I pray that, Lord, that you would just put us to the side, Lord, right now, Father God, and bring your Holy Spirit, Father God, that you might have your way in this place, Father God. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. In the message name of Jesus, amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, Thomas. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. I am uh, enjoying this this series. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it. The good news, according to Luke, I'm, I guess I'm the only one enjoying it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. Some of you are going. When's this going to be over? Don't ask that question. So, uh, over uh, over six times, Jesus is going to be accused of breaking the Sabbath. And so the kind of the heat is on, the pressure is on. Jesus is doing some things now that uh, the religious people are, are looking at kind of sideways. They're beginning to question him. They're uh, beginning to watch him very carefully. And a few weeks ago, we read how Jesus healed a man who was paralyzed. And then he forgave the man's sins. And they were very upset about this, the religious people, because only God can forgive sins. So now they're like, OK, who is this guy and what does he hear about? Right. And then last week we we read about how Jesus is now he's doing something that um, that prophets do not do, that that uh, rabbis do not do. Right. Spiritual people do not do. And what was he doing? He was eating with sinners and with tax collectors. Oh, my. Can't do that. Right. That means we can't have lunch today, right? Uh, 
So, and what is he doing? He's eating with people that in that day, hey, you're not supposed to be eating with them. Uh, if you're a holy man, you don't eat with unholy people. And so he's breaking all of these these ideologies that have been built up over the centuries of what the Messiah would look like and what kind of kingdom he would bring. And now they are questioning him about what he is doing on the Sabbath. And they accuse him of breaking the Sabbath. Um, We know that the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, We read in Exodus that it says, remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's kind of one of those weird commandments that we don't think about very often. Uh, You might wake up thinking about, you know, I should not have an affair today or I shouldn't kill somebody today. But rarely do you wake up thinking, you know, I shouldn't break the Sabbath today. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it just doesn't cross our minds very much. Uh, I heard of a pastor who once said that he could break all the other nine of the Ten Commandments and he could lose his job. But if he breaks the Sabbath, he'll probably get a raise. It's one of those commands we kind of like, I don't know what to do with this one, right? I don't know what to do with this one. Um, And we have to ask the question, did Jesus care about keeping the Sabbath? Did he care about it? Did Jesus break the Sabbath, right? The Bible says that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law or to do away with the law. The Bible says that Jesus came to fulfill the law. To fulfill the law. So if Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath, if he kept the Sabbath, what does that look like? Aren't you glad we have the example of Jesus? If you want to know what it looks like to keep that commandment, look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus did on the Sabbath. How did he observe Sabbath? So we're going to look at that today. Uh, The Sabbath is literally means the seventh or the seventh day. Uh, The seventh day of the week is actually Saturday. The first day of the week is Sunday. So the Sabbath was was Saturday. Okay, Um, Sunday is the first day of the week. It's the Lord's Day, we like to call it, because that's the day Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And so over the centuries, Christians celebrate the Sabbath, the seventh day. They actually celebrate that on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. Um, So. I think the, the main point is, is that God wants us to take a, a, a rest day, a Sabbath day. And we're going to look at that here in just a few moments. And I think you'll find uh, some interesting things about this. Uh, let's go back to the law. Let's go back to the commandment about keeping Sabbath and just see what that's about. And then go back to Jesus. So in Exodus chapter 20, verse number eight. We read this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them. And rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and he made it holy. Somebody say blessed. God blessed this Sabbath day. God intended it for for it to be a blessing. Uh, I remember growing up um, shortly after I, I got saved, shortly after I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. 
and received him as my Lord and Savior, I was invited by some friends to go on a fishing trip. Uh, and uh, we went out of town, and it was an overnight fishing trip up in Michigan, and we were going to go fishing in a river for smallmouth bass. And I had never done that before. I was really, really excited about this fishing trip, and we stayed in this camper. And, and that Sunday morning, we woke up to go fishing, and this verse was on my mind. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. And I thought about that, and I go, Lord, I want to please you. What does this mean? How do I do this? And I thought, you know, I better be safe than sorry. So I told all my friends, I'm sorry, I'm not going fishing with you today. And I was miserable all day long, sitting in that camper, trying to pray, thinking about fishing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Is it lawful to go fishing on the Lord's day? Right. See, what happens is, is what God intends to be a blessing, right, can become a burden. And the Sabbath was intended to be a blessing for us, and it's become a burden. And uh, how many of you know that religious people are really good at taking God's blessings and turning them into man's burdens? We're really good at that. We're really good at screwing up the grace of God. We're really good about taking a day that God intended to be a blessing and turning it into a burden. And this has been going on and on forever and ever because religious people have been around for a long time. Somebody say amen. And so these religious way back centuries, thousands of years, they would say, how does how do we interpret this law of keeping Sabbath? And and they're trying to figure out what it means. So they decided, you know what? Better be safe than sorry. And so what they did is they, they made thirty nine categories for keeping the Sabbath and thirty nine laws within each thirty nine categories for keeping the Sabbath. They said, we better help God out here. He didn't quite get it all right and laid it, didn't lay it all out. So we better do it for him. So they came up with all of this stuff and they, they, they put it in these books and they considered these books more important than the scriptures and what the scripture has to say about Sabbath. And some of the laws that they came up were something like this. So you could not do any reaping on the Sabbath. It was work. OK, you could not do any threshing of the harvest on the sabbath it was considered work and in one place it said that if you pluck some some wheat you are reaping and if you roll it in your hands as the disciples did that day you are threshing and if you blow out the chaff then you are winnowing and you are breaking the sabbath okay so uh so for them to see the disciples doing this they said aha you're breaking the sabbath where'd they get that from their own law not God's law. Walking on the Sabbath. You could only walk a certain amount of distance on the Sabbath. Now, this was a big deal back then. Because they didn't have Cadillacs and Fords and Pontiac. They didn't have any vehicles, of course. I know, you know. We've only had vehicles about 100 years, if you didn't know that. I'm talking a generation over here. And, uh, and so they had to walk everywhere they went. And they could only walk 2,000 cubits or 3,000 feet on the Sabbath. That's a big deal. Okay, that's not very far. All right. Not very far. And if you're counting on your your fit band or whatever, you know, you, you really that's not very far. Okay. And so they would try to stretch it. And here's what they would do. They would take a rope in the direction they wanted to go on the Sabbath. And they'd stretch out that rope the day before the Sabbath. Right. And so they could they could the law permitted their law permitted that that you could start counting your steps at the end of the rope on the Sabbath. So they had all these kinds of crazy rules that they said that if you uh, on the Sabbath, if you had a grape in your hand on the Sabbath and you threw up that grape and you caught it in the 
I got to practice this one. And you caught it in, in your same hand. They would say you're reaping. You're working. You're breaking the Sabbath. They said if you threw it up in one hand and caught it in the other. They were divided on that one. Some said, well, no, that's working. That's reaping. Others said, no, no, that's okay. All right. But they all agreed on if you took a grape on the Sabbath and you threw it up in the air and you caught it in your mouth. They all agreed you were not breaking the Sabbath because the grape ceased to exist. Some of you would like some of the uh, copies of some of these laws. We'll be happy to share them with you after service. You're welcome to be bound by them. So you couldn't carry anything on the Sabbath that was heavier than a dried fig. How many of you had figs for breakfast? That's what I thought. So if you had dentures... And um, somebody told a funny joke on the Sabbath... Or you sneezed and your dentures went flying. You couldn't reach down, pick them up, put them back in your mouth because they were heavier than a dried fig. (laughs) Ladies, you were not permitted to look into a mirror on the Sabbath. Because you might see an unwanted hair and be tempted to pluck it. And it was considered reaping on the Sabbath. Men, if you were going to spit on the Sabbath which is very important, or, or if you had to blow your nose, you, you could do so. You could blow your nose or spit into a handkerchief or into a tissue, but you couldn't fold it because you were working on the Sabbath. So if you had a cold, imagine that on the Sabbath, you'd have these laying all over the house, just everywhere, you know? So this is what we do. This is what religious people do. They have to have an answer for everything, right? They have to come up with, well, this is what God meant. They make something stupid up. You know, we could do that for you if you'd like. Make up all kinds of stupid rules, but we're not going to do that. So the Sabbath, God intended the Sabbath to be a blessing. To be a, somebody say blessing. It should be a day of blessing, right? Not a day of burden and, ugh, you know. And um, how many of you believe it's lawful to go fishing on the Sabbath? I don't know. I'm, I'm with you on that one. So let's go back to where did this whole idea of Sabbath rest begin? Did it begin in Exodus? Did it begin in the law? No, it, it began a thousand years before the law was ever given. It began at, at the story of creation. Uh, let's quickly look at this. So we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Somebody say finished. And all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And what's interesting here is that not only did God rest on that seventh day. But Adam and Eve rested on that day as well. It was their first day of being alive in the earth. And you would think, well, come on, get to work. We got stuff to do, you know, I mean, we got animals to name and, you know, we got to dig in the dirt and plant some things and all this and that. And no, it was a day of rest. So man's first day on the earth, he was, he was created to rest in the presence of God. 
He was created to be with God and just enjoy God on that day. We'll come back to that in a little bit. So what does it mean that God rested from the work that he had done? You know, was he tired? Was he like, oh, this has been a big week. I'm just, whew, I'm exhausted, you know. I'm just like the stars really killed me. I just, when I did that and spoke them, oh, so tired. So what did he do? Why did he have to rest? What does that mean for God to rest? Um, If we go back into ancient literature, which we we won't do today and you won't do and I probably won't do. And that's why we have scholars who do that kind of stuff. Um, Dr. Eric Smith, who is the president of Pillar Seminary here in Omaha, he's an Old Testament scholar. And he has studied all these 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 creation stories that are are written um, um, from, uh, uh, you know, human standpoint, people who are trying to figure out how creation came to be. And there's all these all these old epic stories about how deities, they came and they they decided to take something that was in disorder and bring order to it. And then give it purpose. And there's many, many stories, creation stories like this. And the stories kind of go like this. Everything was in disorder. And this deity came along and put it back in place and created it, put it in order, gave it purpose. And then he built this temple for himself. And he went in to rest in that temple, not because he needed to take a nap. But he went into that temple to sit on his throne and rule over his creation. Okay, these are all ancient stories of of creation accounts. Now, where do you think they borrowed their stories from? From the real original creation story that we find in Genesis. So on the seventh day, God rested not because he was tired. God rested to rule. He said, now that this work of creation is finished, is complete. Now it's time to rule over all of creation. So the idea of God's rest is attached to God's rule. So on the seventh day, God says, okay, now that it's all done, I'm going to rule this thing. It's like you, if you were to like buy a house and, 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 and recreate the house and repurpose the house and remodel the house and, and, and you work hard for six days to get it all ready. And then on the seventh day, what do you do? You rule over that house. You walk around, you go, man, look at this room. It used to look like this. Now it looks like that, you know, and you might sit down and have dinner together and celebrate what's been finished, what's been complete. And and you begin to enjoy and rule over this house that you have created in the same way. God takes residence in his creation on the seventh day. And he goes, now it's time to rule. Now it's time to rule. Sabbath day could be thought of as as God's enthronement day. It's the day when God sits on his throne and he rules over creation. And it's the day that all of creation realizes that God is on his throne, that God is king, right? That this is his creation, that this is his day. So the Sabbath day, or in our case, the the Lord's day is a day that we recognize the rule of God. We remember the rule of God. What day of the week do you pause to remember that God rules over all. What day of the week do you say, you know, what? I'm not going to do on that day what I do all the other days. Where's my phone? What if on what if on the Lord's day or a day of the week you say, you know, what? I'm not going to be ruled by my phone. 
I'm not checking my email today because I want to declare Jesus rules and I don't need this. I don't have to have this. But I got to check my Facebook for sure. Right? Right? Social media, man. Right? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes through social media. It's in the scriptures. I know it is. One of our team members, as we're preparing this message, we, we preach as a team here at Good News, and we plan as a team. And one of our team members said, um, whatever you cannot live without on that day is Lord. Is Lord. I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. You can't take a, a break from your regular work. Maybe work is Lord. Or maybe social media is Lord. Not getting legalistic here. You have to ask. What does it look like for God to rule on that day? For me to set aside what I normally do to do things I normally don't do. What does that look like? It's the day that God rules. Maybe it's your your have-tos. You don't do your have-tos on that day. And you do your get-tos on that day. I like that. I get to go fishing. I don't do that every day. Right? I get to go hiking. You know, for me, man, I go hiking and it's... It's like, you know, it's more than 3,000 feet. I'll tell you that right now. And, but it's a day where I feel like I'm going on a walk with God. And it's a day where I recognize his rule over creation. And I put aside the things I normally do to do the things I get to do. And I think that's the spirit of, of this Sabbath. So Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath means that we remember that God came to rule. Okay. It's the day that we declare Jesus is king. And he came to rule. But it's also a day that God came to restore. Somebody say restore. So here we have this man who's in this temple or in the synagogue. And he has this withered hand. Right? And the Bible says that Jesus is teaching the word of God in the synagogue. and And there's this man with this withered hand. And it's the right hand, the Bible says. Now, it's interesting. You know, Luke wrote. We know that Luke, the physician excuse me, wrote the gospel of Luke. And uh, he's a physician. He pays attention to details. He notices the right hand. He wrote down right hand. Reminds me of the story that Pastor Joe from Calvary Chapel in Philadelphia told one time. And it's a story about this man who uh, went to the emergency room one day because his ear was bothering him. He had some kind of ear infection in his right ear. And so he goes to the emergency room and the first doctor looks at him and examines his ear and he writes on his chart, capital R. For right, for right. And then he writes the word ear, E-A-R, on the chart. Next doctor comes in and he reads the chart and he sees the capital R and he sees the word ear and he puts them together and he goes to treat the man's rear. <laughs> and the man didn't appreciate that. Um, how many of you wouldn't appreciate that, right? We like it when doctors get details right. And so, you know, So Luke is being specific. It's his right ear. And we know that it had become withered. Okay, from the Greek, we know it wasn't something he was born with, but it was something that um, became a problem. It became withered through some type of injury throughout his life. We don't know what kind of injury it was. Some would say that he was perhaps a a carpenter or a stone mason and his hand was damaged at work. We don't know exactly what caused his hand to be withered, but we know that withered means lifeless. It means shriveled. It means useless. Okay. Uh, I was in a downhill skiing accident about 20 years ago, 
And uh, I went over this ski jump. And as I'm going over it, I'm realizing, oh my goodness, this is much bigger than I thought it was. Uh, and I totally lost control after going off the ski jump. And I just closed my eyes, no lie. And I just prayed, God help me to live. And when I landed, I landed on my right hand. I landed on my right hand. And uh, I shattered the bones in my, in my right thumb. And uh, my hand, my right hand became withered. It became useless. Uh, I could not hold anything with it. I could not. It was very, very painful. But I didn't come there that day to go home. I came there to ski. And it was the first day of the ski trip. So I took some duct tape and I, and I put my glove on and I duct taped my, my right hand to the ski pole so I could ski all day. And that's what I did. I skied the rest of the day. Come on, men. Come on, huh? I mean, God gave us duct tape for a reason, right? So three days later, I had surgery. Uh, and um, yeah, and Dr. Furlick, he put three pins in there, put me back together again, put a cast on. And thank God, my, my right hand was completely restored. It's fully functioning. Thank God for that. Um, yeah, amen. But this, this man did not have that kind of hope. First of all, he had no duct tape. I feel really sorry for him, right? Uh, he had no x-rays available, no surgeons who could do what was done to my hand. And so he lived with this lifeless, this withered hand. Um, and what a, what a terrible way to live. But what's even worse than living with that condition is living with, with what people thought of him with that condition. You see, back in that day, the, the religious people had an answer for everything. Now, today, you know, that's not a problem. How many of you know religious people have to come up with an answer for everything? You know, it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Where's that in the Bible? I don't know. Aren't you a pastor? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's okay to say, I don't know. But these guys, they had to know. So they came up with these crazy reasons why people were sick and injured and all this. And, and they had this idea back in the day. And it was probably something like this. This man sinned with his right hand. And only God saw him sin. And so God caused his hand to be withered. And that was what was very common understanding back in that day. So here you have a man who, who, who despite all that, he shows up to church, right? Even though he knows that everybody's judging him, right? They're going, I know what kind of man he is. The reason why he's got a crippling in his life, the reason why there's something withered in his life is because of the sin in his past. How'd you like to come to church? And every time you walk in, you feel like everybody's looking at you and going, oh, there, there he is. The reason why his life is so screwed up is because of what, so, because of what he did in the past. God's judging him. Some of you feel that way. Some of you fought to get to church today. You know, you know, what happens is, you know, here's this guy with a withered hand and all this judgment that's coming on him and he still fights his way to church. You know, we have a pimple the size of a volcano. and We go, oh, my God, I can't get this thing covered up. I can't go to church. You know, what are people going to think of me? I've sinned in my life. You know, I'm having a bad hair day. I'm having a bad beard day. I can't go to church today. Okay, come on, man, help me out here. You know, you're not laughing because it's true. 
We have all these reasons why, we, but he's pushing through. Why? Because, because he's not even there to be healed that we know of. He's just there. He wants some encouragement. He wants a word from God. And man, you're here this morning. You're like, I'm not even here to get healed. I just need a little encouragement. He pushes his way through the hypocrisy, through the judgment, right? He says, I'm going to church. I don't care what people think of me. I need to hear a word from God. I need some encouragement today. I don't care if it's snowing outside or if it's 65 degrees. Do you know why it's called Celebration Sunday today? Because it's going to be 65 degrees. That's why. So we push our way to church. Where are we? So he comes to church with this disability, with this wound. And some of us, we, we've done that today. We've, we've come to church and we, there's something in our life that has withered. Something in our life that is, uh, it's dried up and it's useless now. Uh, and for some of us, it's very visible, right? There are those with crippled, crippled feet and crippled hands or no feet, you know? Those with hearing impairments today and maybe you're deaf or you're wearing hearing aids and there's something physical in your life. There's a limp. There's something going on. People can see your brokenness, your witheredness. Um, maybe you have a mental illness and, and that part of your life is withered. And maybe people don't necessarily see that, don't know that. How many of you know you can hide a lot of things for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning? Or maybe there's a, there's an emotional wound that you have. Um, it, it's something that uh, you weren't born with. It's something that happened to you along the way. And as a result of it, you have a very difficult time receiving love from God or from people. And right. Or, or maybe you have a hard time receiving mercy or, or giving mercy. Maybe you are unable to trust because of of some wound in your life. And uh, and you're here today. You know, we can be withered in many ways. I would guess that there's there's uh, there, there's something broken in every person here today. Something withered, right? Some of you are judged for it and the church looks at it and, ah, you know, you know, it's your own fault. You know, God's judging you and this and that. Right. We, we have so many cruel things that we can say and do. But like the man, you're here with a withered hand. And I want you to know that just like Jesus out of all those people, Jesus was able to recognize the man with the withered hand. I want you to know that God sees your withered hand today. He sees that broken piece. Maybe other people don't see it. Maybe it's hidden, but God sees it. And the Bible says that God is the same as he was yesterday and today and will be forevermore. And Jesus is not only he, he, he's not only about ruling on the Sabbath. He demonstrates here that he's about restoration on the Sabbath as well. Sabbath day is about acknowledging and remembering that God rules, but also remembering that that God restores. And the Bible says that they're watching Jesus very closely. And they perhaps know that Jesus's attention is going to be on the, the most wounded person in the room. So they're watching this man with a withered hand. They're watching Jesus. It's Sabbath day and they're they're watching to see how this thing might come together because they're looking to accuse him of something. They want to take him out. They want to destroy this guy. We got to get rid of the false prophets. So they're watching him carefully. What's interesting is what Jesus didn't say to this man. He didn't pull him aside and say, hey, listen, um, Sabbath is almost over. Um, I'll heal you tomorrow. 
He didn't come up to the man and whisper in his ear, listen, I, church service is almost over. I'll meet you out in the lobby and down the hall and I'll pray for you and I'll heal your hand. He didn't say, I'll meet you for coffee tomorrow and then I'll heal you. He said, no. He said, hey, you over there with a withered hand, stand up, stand up. How'd you like me to do that this morning? You know, acknowledge your witheredness. Stand to your feet, right? What's going on here? You know, back in that day, what, what you would normally see in the synagogue is that the teacher might sit on a stool on a, or sit on a slightly raised platform while everybody else is seated on the floor. Maybe their legs are crossed. They're not sitting in chairs or pews. Right. And so now here you have one person standing in the whole auditorium and it's the man with a withered hand. Now we think this is great. Right. But you got to remember, this man hasn't read this chapter. He didn't know how this thing's going to play out. So he's standing there thinking, oh, great, here it comes. He's going to tell me that, you know, because of the sin in your life, you know, you're screwed up. Stay on your feet so we can all tell you how big of a screw up you are. He's waiting for it, right? This is kind of probably what's going on in his mind. Jesus has a different idea. And he says to this man, before he says to him, you know, stretch out your hand, he says he addresses the Pharisees. So now you have this man standing as an example. And now he turns to the Pharisees and the scribes and he asks them a very powerful question. He says, I ask you, is it lawful? Religious people always want to know what's lawful, not what's merciful. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to destroy it? Is it lawful to save a life on the Sabbath? Well, again, Luke's a physician. He knows all about what's lawful on the Sabbath to do. And back in that day, what was lawful on the Sabbath was to save a life. So if there was a man who was bleeding to death, you could put a tourniquet on it to keep the man alive. But you couldn't treat or bandage the wound because that would be considered work on the Sabbath. Right. So is it lawful to save a life? Everybody's like, yeah, it's lawful. Is it lawful to destroy a life? The implication is this. If you fail to save a life on the Sabbath, you're destroying a life on the Sabbath. And then Jesus takes it a step further. He goes, what about good and evil? Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Of course, it's, it's lawful to do good. And the implication is clear. And if you don't do good on the Sabbath, you're doing evil. When I was growing up, our family, we kept the Sabbath day, actually the Lord's Day, Sunday, very religiously. We would do no work on that day. Um, we would nap on that day, maybe go for a Sunday drive. It was the most boring day of the week for this young boy who had lots of energy. And, but we couldn't do anything, no yard work, nothing on the Sabbath. So it was, it was a day of rest and we did nothing, no work at all. And, uh, and as we're resting and I'm getting really bored, there's a knock at the door and I go to the door and open the door and it's Mr. LaRue, our neighbor, Mr. LaRue, how are you? And uh, he goes, I'm fine. And he goes, I need some help. He said, I, I started building this shed in my front yard and I need to move it to the backyard and I need about six strong men. So I've gone around to the different neighbors and I've almost got enough. And I was wondering if your dad could come out and help us move this shed. And I said, just a moment. And I went and got my dad and my dad came out and he said, Mr. LaRue, it is the Lord's day. We do not work on the Lord's day. And Mr. LaRue left that day, went back, and I don't know what was going on in his mind, but uh, my dad thought he was keeping the Sabbath or keeping the Lord's day. And we've talked about that since then, and, 
And, um, and my dad has obviously changed his ways on this, and we think so much differently. We realize that, that what had happened that day is, is because we didn't do good on the Lord's Day, we actually did evil. We actually sinned. We actually missed an opportunity to demonstrate to an unsaved person what it means to do good on the Sabbath, what the Sabbath day is all about. So the Sabbath day uh, was made for, for God's rule. Um, it was made for God to rule and God to restore. And Mark's gospel says it like this, verse, chapter number 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So again, the legalists, we want to know what's lawful, right? The Christian wants to know what's merciful, Okay. The Sadducees, or excuse me, the scribes and the Pharisees, they don't answer Jesus' question, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? They don't answer his question. And Jesus' response is amazing. And if, if you look at the same story in Mark, Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 5, he, he tells us this part of the story. It says that he, Jesus, looked around at them with anger. He was ticked off. And also says that he was grieved He was saddened at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So here Jesus is burning with anger because they had they had ruined what the Sabbath day was all about. Uh, Can I ask, is it wrong to be angry? Some of you are not sure. Is it wrong to be angry? See, we were we were created, the scripture says, in God's likeness. A part of our makeup It's to be angry. You can't have love without anger. When you love somebody, you're going to get angry at the thing or the person that hurts the one that you love. And he's angry. He's angry at these religious people because they they, they totally ruined what the Sabbath was all about. And he looks at the man and he says, stretch forth your hand. And as he did, 19 bones, 35 muscles, and 58 independent actions were completely restored to his right hand. Isaac Newton said that someone should get saved just by studying the human thumb. See, there are are more nerve endings in your fingers than there are across your entire chest. You know, this miracle that took place that day should, should astound us even more today just because of the medical science that we, we know today. It's incredible what took place. The neural pathways had been shut down. The tendons were all shriveled up. The blood flow was, was restricted. And when Jesus said, stretch forth your hand, those neural pathways, they, they woke up. <laughs> they woke up. And those muscles started twitching again. And those tendons, they... they They lathered up. They became pliable again. And he started to be able to use his hand. Did Jesus break the Sabbath that day or did he fulfill it? The Sabbath is about acknowledging that God rules and that God restores. Just in the last week, Loretta, she came to the prayer meeting in our prayer room. And she had ringing in her ears and she had a constant headache for five days. And the ladies in that prayer room, they laid hands on her and instantly, instantly the headaches were gone and instantly the ringing went away. Why? Because God is a God who restores. He restores. 
Robert, he came to the eight o'clock service last week and and he had blurry vision. He couldn't see very well. He didn't know why his vision was blurred. And and Gary, one of our prayer workers at the end of the service, laid hands on him and prayed over him. And instantly his vision became clear. We rejoice over those. Was he blind? No. Was he blurry? Yes. I think both are incredible. We've got to celebrate even the smallest little aha moments that we have with God. Even the smallest things that God restores, whether it's a shriveled hand or or whether it's a blurry vision, whatever it is, God is a God who restores. So keeping the Sabbath day means we remember that God came to rule. He came to restore. But finally, and most importantly, he came to have relationship with us. He came to have relationship with us. The scriptures say that we should make every effort to enter that kind of rest, that kind of relationship with God. You see, the the seventh day that God rested, man was right there with him. Adam and Eve were right there with him. The Sabbath is all about being with God, being in relationship with God. This is the most important part about Sabbath. It's about acknowledging that that things that were wrong between God and I are now right. God made a way where there was no way for me to be right with him. And on a day of the week, we pause and recognize he rules, he restores, and we have right relationship with him. And there's no better verse to illustrate this than Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. And we're going to get ready to wrap up here. You shall remember. Somebody say remember. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Notice how keeping Sabbath is is connected to remembering that you were once slaves. You see, the Sabbath is remembering where you came from. It's a day you pause and you remember where you came from. You remember you were a slave to that addiction. You were a slave to sin. You were a slave to work, right? You were a slave to productivity. You were a slave to have to's. And God said, I've delivered you from that kind of slavery. You're no longer a slave. You're my son. We have relationship. You're my daughter. We have relationship. And that's what Sabbath is about. It's about spending that extra time with God saying, God, thank you that I'm no longer a slave. Thank you that the thing no longer controls me. Thank you that I've been set free from that. The Israelites, they were introduced to Sabbath um, with the collection of manna in the desert. On the seventh day, God said, don't collect any manna because there won't be any there to collect. I'll give you enough for those six days that you'll have enough for the, the seventh day. And on that seventh day, they didn't collect any manna. And it was it was a sign of God saying, hey, I am your provider. You can trust me on this day. I am your provider. I will take care of you. And so they ceased from their regular work and their duties to remember that God was their supply, not their employer, not their clients, not their customers. And it was a big day and they planned for it and they looked forward to it with great expectation. I'm going to invite our worship team to come as we wrap up today. Keeping the Sabbath day means that we remember. We remember that God came to rule. And that God came to restore. And he came to have a relationship with us. 
What would it look like for you to take one day a week to remember those things? What would it look like? You know, in our small groups this week, as you're in a small group, you're going to be talking just about that. What does it mean to take a day to, to recognize God rules and, and God restores? Maybe there's somebody God wants me to restore on that day. What does it mean to have a relationship with God on that day? Maybe I, I was talking to a friend earlier and he goes, you know what, when I go play golf, he says, you know, the first nine holes, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, aren't that great. And I'm working out some cobwebs. And then the last nine holes of the golf game, you know, God really begins talking to me. He's getting away. He's doing something he doesn't normally do to spend some time in creation and with God and, and talking with God. And he's putting aside the phone and he's putting aside what he normally does to recognize God rules and God restores our soul and God wants to have relationship with us. And, and I want to I want to say this as we close. Um, some of you are here today and you're not in relationship with God. Um, and the reason is, is you've been separated from God. The Bible says that that our sin separates us from a holy God. There's only one way for us to come back and be with him. And that's for God to deal with that sin. Not for you. You can't deal with it. You can't remove that sin. You can't clean up that sin. You can't improve upon it. All you can do is say, God, this is my sin. I don't like it. You don't like it. Would you get rid of it for me? And he says, yes, that's what the cross is all about. Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says that he carried all the sin of the world upon himself. So his sin is, your sin is no longer on you, it's on him. Well, how does, that, how does that apply? By faith, you say, I believe that's true. I believe that's true. I'm going to put my sin where it belongs. On Jesus, on the cross, God, I trust you to be my Savior and to be my Lord. I want everybody to stand today. And I'm going to invite those of you who want that kind of relationship with God to be restored. I'm going to invite you to come here in just a moment. But first, I want our prayer workers to come prayer workers if you would come some of you are like the man with the withered hand there's something in your life that is that is dried up that's lifeless and it's become useless it was once functioning it was once good it, maybe it's your heart maybe it's your your mind but something has happened along the way something has damaged your physical body or your your emotions or has damaged your mind and you're, you're here today and you're, you're hearing Jesus say, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your witheredness. Bring it to Jesus today and let him do something with that. Let him do a miracle in that part of your life. We're going to encourage you to come. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word today. God, I thank you for every person here that is withered and injured in some way. Lord, I pray you do miracles in these altars here right now. I'm going to encourage you to come as I pray. Come if you, if you need God to, to restore a withered part of your life. Come if, if you want to be restored to right relationship with God. And we're going to pray with you. Our prayer workers are going to pray with you. God, thank you that there is power here today to heal the sick. There's power here today, God, to save, to forgive. Lord, I pray for all those that uh, are far from you today. God, I pray that your kindness would lead them to repentance today. Please come now and let's allow us to pray with you today. God, we ask for miracles to take place in this meeting.
the powerful name of Jesus. Powerful name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. As you're dismissed, I invite you to be respectful. Again, respectful of those who are praying in the altar. Let's not be a distraction. Let's be a blessing today to them as you're dismissed. God bless you.